The truth is that we can learn to condition our minds, bodies, and emotions to link pain or pleasure to whatever we choose. By changing what we link pain and pleasure to, we will instantly change our behaviors. Tony Robbins, Awakening the Giant Within. All right. All right. So welcome to episode three. <clears throat> it has taken us a little bit longer to, Holiday season to get this out than chaos. we had intended. And there was a lot of research that I wanted to make sure was oh, you've accurate. Been, you've been researching your ass off, so. Well, I like facts. <clears throat> we like facts. We certainly do. So today we're going to talk about why we modify ourselves from more scientific, but also kind of a more speculative angle. Right. Um, because I have ideas. Oh, <laughs> we know. <laughs> um, so the first thing that has always struck me about modification, um, or I should say one of the things that have always struck me about modification is why the fuck would we do this to ourselves? Right. And human beings are the only animal on the planet that not only hurt others, but are totally okay with hurting themselves. For no reason. That's, and it's not for no reason. Right, but that's, that's I want to clarify, people like, well, like, other animals hurt other animals, like, but not what we do. (laughs) Right. It's totally different. But hurting ourselves is a very unique... That's very unique. ...characteristic of human behavior, and it's weird. And... So I've been thinking for years about, like, why would we do this to ourselves? What would be the benefit from an evolutionary standpoint to put your children and yourself through painful experiences in a ritual setting that may or, I mean, truly in in pre-literate, pre-industrial societies, these situations might actually kill them. Mm-hmm. Not super common, or they probably would have stopped doing them, but it's still a risk. Infection, um, you know. Some going awry. I mean, so, something <coughs> could happen. You, you, we, could, you could run into problems. Right. There's, there's a lot of, of situations where you could deform your child. You could, you know, maim them for life. You could cause serious injury. You could, you, could, you know, especially if you're doing something aesthetically. It's supposed to have some sort of aesthetic component and you do it wrong. You know, mm-hmm. like it doesn't look right or right. that's not the wrong symbol or, you know, you, you then you're committed. That's right. it. Right. Um, so one of the things that I started looking at was how the brain manages pain, what mm-hmm. we do with pain. Um, we know recently there's been a lot of research because there's a lot of chronic pain. It's an epidemic. I know so many people that experience chronic chronic pain right. from fibromyalgia to MS to like just there's so many things. Any infl- in autoimmune issue usually has a component which is a uh, a pain <coughs> component. Um, so we know because you can't for years. Doctors have given pain medication to people like that, and you build up a tolerance to pain medication, and then you become addicted, and we have an opioid crisis. Um, so they've been really focusing on mindfulness, how, you're, how to change how your brain interprets pain. Right. Well, and and that's, that, yeah. I mean, doesn't that also connect to the fact that 
if you don't train people, and I know you're, we're going to go into this, but if you don't train people to deal with pain, that's why they have to keep coming up with stronger pain med because your body right. will adapt. <clears throat> because right? your body yeah. does 100% adapt to chemicals. Right. Um, we have very clever bodies that way. Yes, ma'am. Um, so one of the things I came across um, is neuroplasticity. Mm-hmm. So the way our brains work allows us to learn from past experience which helps us to adapt to changes in the environment and to be able to master new skills. Now, that idea, um, we used to think that the brain stopped kind of being as plastic Mm. um, in in your mid-20s. But we know now, well, you develop your brain until you're 25, you still have neuroplasticity for the rest of your life, um, which is a fantastic thing. For those people who don't know, your brain is forming its neuropathways, the neuropathways it's going to use for the rest of its existence, all the way up until around the age of 25. And that, that's what we're referring to, is this... You, people used to think, like, at a certain point, that's who you are for the rest of your life, and that's absolutely not true. Not at all. Um, <clears throat> so with pain, the neuroplasticity that, that we have helps form an association between the sensation of pain and the emotions, behaviors, environmental stimuli that are occurring at the same time. So this explains why certain scents or sounds can trigger pain responses like migraines, fear, and anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, It also means your brain has a lot of control over how you experience or don't experience pain. Um, So that is kind of the first thing that I that kind of made me start thinking, like, why would you put your children through this? Right. And and my thought is pain inoculation, kind of like a... An immunity shot. Yeah. Yeah, like a vaccination. Vaccination. You know, the funny thing, though, is, like, when we were growing up, we also were starting to experience the reduction in parents allowing children. Well, yeah. and yes, and this is where I th- we will get into Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um. So because you're not forming your memories in isolation, you're always kind of hearkening back to your prior experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you're creating your response over years of having similar experiences. So every time you have new information, you overlay it over old information. Um, and that is using the activity patterns, of the nerve cells in your, in that pre-exist in your brain from the old memories and your incorporating the nerve activity from your new experience, um, which means that we can rewire our brains by associating those new positive experiences with old fear responses. Um, And that modifies the original response to be more positive. Now, my thought is that taking this kind of idea into account, what if you start with associating pain with a positive experience? Right. Right. So if you have pre-industrial, pre-literate societies are often very dangerous places to live. Absolutely. You know, you don't know when you're going to encounter a a difficult traumatic situation, Um, whether it's, you know, cutting yourself accidentally, which could lead to infection, which is a big deal, um, to being attacked by an animal. I was going to say, like, just the general of tripping over something in the middle of nowhere and getting hurt. Right. Is right it, now we think like, oh, you just go to the ER. And like, not if you're in the middle of the Amazon rainforest, you're not going right, to the Right, like ER. break a bone, step on a bullet <clears throat> ant, you know. <laughs> like, 
anything you can encounter pain on a daily basis. And if you start your children understanding what pain is when they're young and you associate that with a positive experience, then you already have set the stage for not having such a traumatic experience with unexpected pain. Um, Now, an interesting brain things are fascinating to me. Um, (laughs) So these German scientists did an experiment, and I'm not going to run through the whole experiment, but the end result was that by using outside stimuli to change the firing rate of the neurons in your brain, so they fire at a particular rate because of you, who you are, what your chem- mm-hmm. brain chemistry is. And they, I, they used a chemical in this instance, but they're, you don't have to, it, that's not really the, the best way to go about it. Right. Um, but by altering the firing rate in your brain changes just in one place the rest of your brain changes the firing rate to match and they i'm sure everyone's familiar with the optical illusion where if you look at it one way it's a young girl and if you look at it another way it's an old lady yeah right and you always see it one way first and then some people can never see it the other way and some people you have to like flip a switch in your brain yep that's changing the firing rate of your neurons there are other ways to do that Ways like using music, smells, uh, putting yourself in a situation um, where you're stepping outside, like creating a sacred space, putting on certain costuming. Well, I think about on... when you when you brought up smells, and <laughs> you know I've told this to people since you've introduced me to it. You know this idea of using, and it's laughed at, and I don't know why, using essential oils to correct certain like brain chemistry. Yeah. Like, people are having a PTSD moment, and I have uh, friends and family who are, you know, have PTSD from different experiences, and I myself have it. And you have this base of your brain, which is hard to argue with. Like, it's so hardwired. And certain smells trigger that part of the brain to override what the conscious mind Mm -hmm. is thinking. I love when people go, like, that wouldn't work on me. No, no, this works on everybody, and you're breaking that vibration mm-hmm. you're breaking that pattern right. and that alone can change the entire thing Absolutely. that's wildly interesting so thinking about that and i i read this list of the other ways that you can yeah. trigger your brain it was in a uh, an article about um uh, extreme athletes and how to deal with situations where like they're uncomfortable or afraid or something happens and the author, using this kind of information, said camaraderie, you know, make friends, use clothing as a uniform. So when you put on a certain shirt, then you get your brain into a certain mindset so that you can perform at your best. Use music, use, you know, olfactory triggers right. like aromatherapy. And that helps you overcome negative or stressful situations. And as I'm reading this article, I'm like, all of these things are exactly what's in a ritual experience. Right. Every single aspect of this is part of every ritual experience that I can possibly think of. Right. Um, that absolutely is. So thinking about that, like, un- unconsciously 
ancient people created rituals to train their children to not respond to pain they, the way you would without these positive associations. So thinking about you put a child, and sometimes this starts as early as just after birth, right. like whatever the proscribed period of time is that now your child is a human, um, which can range from a day to nine days to three months, whatever that is. Yeah. When you have your welcome your child into your community celebration, a lot of times those do involve pain, whether it's ear piercing or submerging in water, right. which is cold and that's traumatic, yeah. you know, baptism. Um, so enduring the pain from a young age and controlled parameters where you're, you know that you're going to be going, well, maybe not a, a toddler, but you know right. you're going to be going through a, a painful experience that while you may not understand exactly what you're going to go through, um, you know that there are proscribed things that happen within it, which means it's happened before to other humans, yep. um, surrounded by people that you know and trust, um, in a ritual environment, which has prayer and song and dancing and all of these things that change how your brain perceives the world. Mm -hmm. And in which, at the end of this, you're rewarded. Mm -hmm. um, whether that is a celebration or being... Um, and usually the celebration is the big thing that brings the whole community together. You are given a new status within the community. You are um, allowed to wear different clothing, potentially. You end up with a new mark that proves that you have accomplished this right. task, which is really an important thing to be able to not have anyone question. Like, oh, you went through that, I went through that. You know, I think of, <clears throat> makes me think of an organic version of this mm -hmm. where I know so many people that when they were a child, at one point in time, fell, mm -hmm. hit their head or face on a glass coffee table, and has a scar. Oh, yeah. And it's an immediate bonding experience. Absolutely. Like, where'd you get that from? You got that from? I got one of those. Yeah. Like, yep. and then you're automatically connected. Right. And, Absolutely. But it also makes me think, when you were talking about this, is even, un like, unconscious, I mean, we don't know how unconscious ancient people were, varying degrees, they could have known something. Right, and some, but even so, the, some people could have, yeah, like, the spiritual leaders could have understood what was going on, and the rest of the community would right. not have, that, that we don't profound, know. Yeah. No, the, the profane knowledge and the sacred knowledge. Yeah. And, but like, at the same time, you see it now in unconscious states, you know, anybody who has children <clears throat> can tell you that if they get a little bump or a bruise and they start to cry and you pay attention to that, they're going to do it more. Oh, yeah. Then attention. you have, like, our godchildren, our, especially our two godsons, are, they're boys. They're, like, traditional, like, dirt, like, and I'm generalizing, but they're fucking boys. So they fall, tumble, bump things, scrape things. You won't even hear a peep out of them because they don't. It's not an attention thing. They're just like, whatever, it's in the way. I got cut. I don't care. To the point where sometimes you got to, hey, hey, buddy, like, yeah, you're, like you're, are you injured? Like, what's going on? Hey, are you bleeding? <laughs> because it's not, there's, they get, get no response. Not that they're not loved. They're completely loved and well taken care of. But it's like when we were growing up, you weren't, nobody was, uh, brush it off. At the same time, we can see, and I'm just going to draw a weird yeah. correlation. When I was a kid, and this might horrify younger people, uh, at one of the schools where we had outside area to play, 
we had jungle gyms set up over pavement. Mm-hmm. And oh, you, concrete. Oh, shit, yeah. <laughs> and you learned real fast, like, yeah, I can hang upside down. Like, well, if you fall, you're going to break your fucking noggin, my friend. Like, and mm-hmm. that's it. And you already heard one rumor, whether or not it was real, about the one kid who fell and broke his friggin' arm. And it's like, yeah. You're a lot more careful. Then, in the ni- late 80s, early 90s, they started putting wood chips in these places. Mm-hmm. Wood chips, wood chips. And then every time somebody would fall, they'd make the wood chips deeper. Mm-hmm. Until it was like it needed to be a foot something more of wood chips. It's like mm-hmm. walking on a cushion. And what doctors found at hospitals was there was not a decrease in childhood injuries, especially cranial injuries. Mm-hmm. There was, there was an increase. There was more of them. Because, because everyone knew they were safe. Right. You can fall. I fell four feet and four feet isn't enough. And it's like, well, at least they're safe. And like, look, your kid would have been better off, I think, at age four falling a foot and cracking his arm than falling at age 10 oh, when absolutely. he's much heavier, five or six <laughs> feet because he thinks he's going to be okay. Absolutely. Like, Again, and that's in its raw state. It happens still, Mm -hmm. you know? For sure. So when young people are going through these ritual processes, uh, while they have support, and and this is kind of the the interesting, kind of related, um, they're expected to compose and comport themselves well. Like, they're expected to deal with it. They right. know that there is an expectation, and depending on the community, the expectation be, can be like more or less harsh, and age kind of relates to that. But in some Polynesian communities, when you're going through your tattoo process at, at puberty, when you're becoming an adult in the eyes of your community, if you make a noise, if you move during the process, it is embarrassing to your family. Right. It is not acceptable behavior. You are supposed to be the, be there going through it and handling yourself. Right. And and I think, and in any community, it is not okay to whine and complain and, you know, have these negative emotional responses associated right. with this painful experience because other people have gone through it, they made it through it, you should be able to make it through it too. Right. And children are trained that that's the expectation. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the big reasons why this is important to a community is that when you can show you can get through this situation in which there are parameters and support and an expectation that you do well, you do well, then number one, you have confidence in yourself and your ability to handle yourself in a painful situation. So that's helps your brain manage future pain situations. But it also allows your community to see that you're reliable, you can be trusted, that you are going to compose yourself well, you're not going to panic in a traumatic or painful situation. Or if there's someone else going through a traumatic or painful situation. Because often these rituals happen in groups. So you're, you're there together, going through it together, and that helps you to go through it because other people are understanding the pain that you're going through. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you, as a community, know that your young people have been exposed to traumatic experiences, did well in that experience, came out the other side whole and, and uh, having shown you that they are, are able to manage their pain from an emotional standpoint, mm then 
they really can be allowed to participate in adult life in the community right. because they're not going to make poor decisions. I mean, theoretically speaking. Right, right. Um, that would be related to panicking because they're experiencing pain. And the more of these kinds of rituals, whether the pain is the pain of body modification or it's the pain of fasting for a week or it's a pain of, um, you know, kneeling on rocks overnight and praying. Um, all of these kind of situations, you experience pain to a degree or another. Um, you train your brain how to respond. And once you've trained your brain enough, you're, you know and your community knows that you can be trusted. Right. And I think that's a really important aspect of, of why you would put your children and yourself through these kinds of experiences um, as you, in a small community, rely so heavily upon one another. And I think it's, it, and I'm going to go on a limb here, but yeah. <clears throat> obviously you know this more than I do, but in traditional societies, you had to prepare for everything. You know, you used a pain mechanism as inoculation because, honestly, it could be war. It could be a hunting accident. It could be childbirth. It could be anything. Oh, yeah. We don't know, but we have to do this. This is still practiced to some extent, although it's been weakened quite a bit, in the military. Mm -hmm. And most people know about boot camp. And now, like, if you ask any Marine right now, you want to see a Marine spit blood, ask them why drill sergeants aren't allowed to yell at you the same way they used to because of feelings. Like, we have this cognitive disconnect in this country where, and in the world, where we look at those people, you know, depending on the society, we look at those right. people and we go, I don't know if we should be that mean to them. Look, we need them to come together and coalesce as a group. Mm -hmm. They need a negative experience. If you think this experience is bad, what they're about to go into is worse. Oh, yeah. And we have to prepare yeah, them for yeah, it. For sure. Most people have no idea what seer school is. Mm -hmm. They've never heard of it. They don't understand it. And these same people, you know, and I'm not saying it wasn't, but they go, well, you know, waterboarding is torture. Yes. And we do it to our own people in seer school. We break people's limbs. We burn people. We choke people. Like, for those of you who don't know what it is, is it's a, basically it's a part of special forces training where we prepare the military member, I don't want to say soldier because we may not be talking about just soldiers, we're talking about Marines, we're talking about sailors and the Navy, um, is that you might someday end up in a warfare situation where you are going to be caught by the other side and they are going to torture the living shit out of you. You need to be prepared for this. So in order to prepare you for this, we are going to do this to you. Mm -hmm. And it's a safe environment because at any point in time, you can go, I'm done, and that's it. The only consequence to that is you don't pass the class. Mm -hmm. What's amazing is the people who have the resolve to do it sit at a different position, and it's obvious. Mm -hmm. In the military, it's obvious. In the normal world, in the everyday world, We've decided, for reasons I've never understood, to eliminate this. We need to protect people from bad experiences mm -hmm. and, and uncomfortable situations. And what would even be better is every time somebody does something, we reward them because positive reinforcement is the way to go. <laughs> so we raised an entire genera <clears throat> generation of people who got a trophy for showing up. Yeah. And it's like, not only did you not prepare them, 
by giving them this experience. But not to put a finer point on it, you fucked them because they don't have the inoculation against pain. They aren't given that movement they need to get to the direction they're going. Instead, they've been coddled and fucked with, and they also suffer. Right, and and more on that, you can see it in our community. Um, there's been a few, this is another really interesting thing I came across, there's been a few studies about how pain experiences in groups help people to bond. Right. So... Growing up, if you're protected from any painful experiences, no one else has gone through any painful experiences, then there is no bonding in that group. And you can see that by the way that we attack one another online. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, like, if you are rewarded for everything that you do and you have not tried at all, you have not expended any extra energy to do that, then what you're doing has no value. Right. So you don't think what anyone else is doing has value. That's where it becomes interesting. And because no one's experienced the pain or no one understands the pain that others have experienced. So you may have experienced, everyone experiences pain. Right. But because you've never experienced it around other people, um, and then you, you, you know, can't understand that other people have also gone through pain. And it may not be identical pain, yeah. but even little things like, you know, the embarrassment of being terrible at sports in recess. Right. You've got a group of kids always that are going to be bonding together because they all suck at athleticism, <laughs> you know? Like, and that's a those. really, that's a really modern and kind of trite example, but, no, but it's not accurate. less true because if you look at, um, you know, now kids can opt out of recess right. or opt well, when out they got of, rid of, I mean, of, it, uh, What's it called? Dodgeball. Uh, yeah, what's the... Gym. Gym. <laughs> Physical education. Physical education. Well, that yes. was always the funny thing. Like, dodgeball, the worst case scenario, even when I was growing up and it was the Wild West of dodgeball and there were, like, those, those squishy rubber hard, balls, yeah. the texture, and that hurt like a fuck getting that yeah. in the face. But it didn't kill you. No. Like, yeah, this is going to be uncomfortable. Yeah, this is going to be stressful. And you could see people, like, some people are like, fuck it, I'll just get hit right away and be out. It's like, and how did that help you in life? Mm -hmm. Like, as opposed to stay in the game, yep. take one in the face, like, whatever you need to, it's not going to kill you. Right. And people are like, well, this is better because we're not having bullying and hazing. And it's like, dude, bullying and hazing are a result of us not having these... You said that. I'm not coming up with this. Just people listening. Oh, yeah, I didn't yeah. come up with that by no, myself. No, no. So, yeah, we've, we talk about this kind of stuff all the time. And I think the reason that we run into, uh, in the modern world, um, that the reason that you find, uh, you know, groups of children, especially in team sports or in, uh, like, fraternities and sororities, group activities, you find hazing and bullying happening is because we have... That is the only way that they understand from a biological perspective that they can, like, bond with one another. Mm -hmm. So you get a group of, you know, freshmen coming into uh, an athletic um, team, and the older students have uh, been playing together for a long time. They know each other really well. They understand how one another works. They get the how 
you know, their little quirks and stuff. And then you have a whole new group of people coming in that you don't know jack shit about. And right. you don't know how they're going to respond. You don't know what kind of people they are. You don't know what their personalities are. Teasing them. And then because that doesn't get you a lot of information, it eventually turns into hazing them. Right. And putting them through these really awful experiences is the easiest, quickest way to understand what kind of a person they are. Now, because we don't have rituals in our society that allow people to um, endure painful experiences together and then that helps them to bond and understand one another better, they're doing it subconsciously. They don't know that's what they're doing, but that's what they're doing because we're programmed to do that tens of thousands of years of human history we've been doing these kinds of things and because they're children and they don't understand it's it is the only way their little animal brains can work right is that like how how do i know that billy over there is gonna back me up when i need to be backed up on the football field well i'm gonna you know we're gonna haze him Tease the shit out of him until he cries and see what his breaking point. Yeah, what's his breaking point? How tough? And you know what? People do it organically right now. If if somebody's sitting there going, "Well, I'm not part of that culture. I don't belong to a frat." What subgroup do you belong to and identify with? Because I guarantee you do. There was something. And they all share the same experience. And to I would take that a step further. I don't care how enlightened or progressive your group is. They talk shit about people outside of their group. Mm -hmm. They look at outsiders and go, fuck that person. They haven't proven themselves. They haven't earned the position. Absolutely. But, like, if you were a member of, you know, the Lakota and you saw someone who had scars on them from doing the Sundance, you already knew. What kind of And you don't need to haze this person. Mm -hmm. In fact, if you don't have those scars, you go, shit. They have right. way more experience than I, I mean, do. And even in contemporary body modification culture, and we started seeing this in the, in the 90s, um, when it was really starting to get big piercing and kind of more extreme body modification was really coming into to view in the oh, public yeah. forum, is that if you came across some, because it was not very common, I mean, when I was in my early 20s, I would walk down the street in my hometown and people would cross to the other sidewalk. Because you had... Though they knew me and had known me since I was a child because I had so many piercings in my face. And for me, that's what I wanted. I don't want you to bother me. I'm going to scare the shit out of you. Go away. Right. But if I saw someone else with a piercing that was visible, I knew that we were kind of on the same level. Mm -hmm. So they were someone who was maybe safe to approach, at least as... They had gone through an experience that was similar to my experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people who started modifying their bodies in the 90s and early 2000s and probably the 70s and 80s as well, of course, um, were using it as a gauge. Oh, yeah. Um, in, in kind of two ways. And one of them was, like, I'm, I'm visibly modified so that when another person who is visibly modified sees me, they know we have a connection and I have the same connection to them. Right. And also, people that are not heavily modified, I know they're going to see me differently, so they're probably going to be scared of me, which is maybe what I want. Right. Um, but they're going to have to prove themselves significantly more to earn my trust because I'm automatically assuming that they are not okay with what I'm doing to myself. Right. And that's, you know, it is what it is with all of its, you know, attributes. I think it's sad right now 
that people who are into the body modification movement, if they're not old enough, they missed out. Oh, yeah. Like, I used to be able to walk into a bar with stretched ears, and we didn't call them gauges. That didn't happen until, like, 2007. That's frustrating as hell. But we would walk in with plugs in our ears, and people would immediately... If you saw someone else with plugs in their ears, you went, we're on the same team. Yeah. And it almost always started a good conversation yeah, and a absolutely. connection. Nowadays, pierced and tattooed people are just people. They don't right. have... They don't really discuss... They kind of look at each other and go, oh, you have one of those. Mm -hmm. But they still do it in refined ways. I still see people who are like, okay, I'm part of this tradition. And if you look at their tattoos and it does not reflect that or it reflects it poorly, you definitely are judging well, them. And we all do it. And that's the other thing. Quality of work is, is a thing that you judge now. You didn't quite judge it as right. much back in, in the day. But like you... There are even like smaller groups within oh, the modification yeah. community that that is also an and interesting I I do thing. you know I you know I'll run into somebody who's like quote unquote heathen, and then I'll look at their stuff and if they have heathen stuff on them and it's wildly inaccurate, I start to wonder yeah. like if it's not well done I start to wonder yeah. like I can see somebody with a poorly done tattoo who knows their shit mm -hmm. and someone who has a I've seen a lot of people have these brilliant well done well assembled tattoos. And they have no idea what that is. It's right. just artwork. Yeah. And they happen to be the person who is wearing it. They don't understand the system. Yeah. You know, but that wasn't always the way. And I think people now more than ever are screwed up by this. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't, I, and this is going to sound goofy to people, but as a young man approaching my 20s, I used to wonder when it is the tipping point that you become a man. Right. Like, that's a very important right. thing. Right, don't have anything that... That Nothing marks happens. that officially. You just kind of slowly transition, and at some point you maybe feel like an adult. And right. it might be when you get married. It might be when you have kids. It might be when you get uh, your first real job or you get a 401K. You know, whatever whatever that is. But there is no ritual. And I think one of the reasons that we're so kind of separated from one another um, is that these kind of ritual pain experiences, um, it's... Sci you know, there have been a few experiment, experiments with pain and bonding. Mm. And you can take a group of strangers, put them through a painful experience. So um, in one experiment, it's like putting your hand in cold water. In another, it's like doing squats continuously for 10 minutes. These kinds of things. And there's a control group that's putting their hand in warm water and, and doing, you know squats when they feel like it over 10 minutes you know no painful experience at all and the groups that went through pain experiences together always bond more they trust one another more um the experiments ended with a a game where you win money um and the way that the game was set up you could either guarantee yourself more money or guarantee the group more money and in the pain experience groups, they guaranteed the group more money significantly more mm -hmm. than in the non-pain groups. Um, and because we don't have these experiences where we're bonding as a community, we feel so much more separate from each other. Um, I think in, in small communities, it's, it's absolutely essential to, to have that kind of relationship with everyone in your, as many people in your community right. as possible. Um, even in small towns in America, you are unlikely to find 
groups of people who have bonded in this way. Unless, unless they have gone through a traumatic experience, like small towns that have gone through, you know, tornadoes or mass flooding or, you know, those kinds of experiences are the things that bond groups of people. But we have no ritual associated with that. Let me start over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a complicated subject. We don't have anything that bonds us as groups. Right, right. And we protect each other. Like, we protect our children from having experiences that would help them bond. Right. I also think that, you know, children and people aren't aware, I don't think people are aware of how much information is being downloaded into a child's brain prior to them speaking. Mm -hmm. Like, prior to children at age four, understanding whatever narrative you're actually talking about, because we we trick ourselves into thinking they understand what we're saying. Oh, she said she needs your diaper changed. I'm like... Yeah, that's just sounds she's learned to make that get you to do a do task. What she, does. she doesn't necessarily understand <laughs> this yet, but during this period of time, they're downloading a shitload. Absolutely. Which might explain why, you know, you've got a generation of people during World War II who beat the quote unquote bad guys. They have a unified narrative. They come home, everyone rejoices. And then you've got the young children who might have been born around this time who are witnessing this. Mm-hmm. And these young children, or they heard about it a lot when they were growing up, they go off to Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And it's a totally it's different, a different reality. Experience. They come home. They're not welcomed into the fold. They are not respected. They're not cared for. They're not nurtured. They're not comforted. They're fuck you. People throw things at them, call them baby killers, attack them. So it's no wonder these group of people who did the ritual as would be our evolutionary process from mm-hmm. what you're seeing, from what you've shown me, they're not experiencing the rest of it. They're getting, like, the worst possible case scenario, which is, yeah, no, it's going to be okay. No, no, go do this. And then you experience horror, and you go through a terrible experience, and then... There's no one to support you. And, yeah, it's, in fact, the opposite. You're evil for having done this. Yeah. Well, no wonder you create a divide. Like, how else do you want to divide? It's an us versus them. And that's why I pointed out earlier is that, like, it doesn't matter what group you belong to. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was growing up, it's hard to explain this to people because unless you're a veteran, you wouldn't understand. And Vietnam vets, I understand them. I like to think I do in a way because of my experience with the hemophilia. So this is one of those experiences where when I was growing up, when I was a child, we knew at a certain point early on that the blood product that hemophiliacs were being given was tainted. (laughs) You have a pain experience, you know, to get... An IV is not a comfortable experience. Especially when you're a child and they don't know necessarily how to get an IV into you properly. Oh, yeah, that was a big... You know, I can go into that. Like, they used to let the nurses in training stick us and you'd get stuck six or seven times. I actually got stuck enough times once that I bled into both arms to the point where they couldn't get a vein and they had to infuse me through my foot. Um, That is what it is. But when you're in a group with other hemophiliacs, I always did better getting infused with other members of the group. Mm-hmm. When I was by myself, my mother didn't deal well with this shit. Yeah. Um, and she used to freak out. And of course, if the parent is freaking out, and oh, that's then the, the child is no longer safe. That's it. You're not safe. This is terrible. And that goes on for a few years, even though the parent tells you, no, you are safe. And then the parent has to sit down. And this is the conversation I had at age eight, which is if you take this medication, you could die. This every time you take this, you could die. But if you don't take it, you'll be crippled. Do you understand? And that's a true statement. Mm -hmm. But 
to get someone to understand it, it's like playing Russian roulette with an eight-year-old. Here, I'm going to put one bullet in the six-count chamber, which actually my odds were getting HIV were much higher than that, yeah. way higher. Yeah. And uh, you need to put this next to your head and pull the trigger and then go out and live a normal life like every other kid. It's like, uh, no. Yeah. Like, people go through the military training to have an experience that could get them prepared for seer school, to have the experience that maybe if they are held captive and this was done to them, then they would survive. Mm-hmm. You know, John McCain, and I am going to... Or at least not give up the information the government doesn't right. want you to give up. Yeah, McCain was an adult. Not, I'm not picking on him. I'm not calling him out. God bless him. But he was an adult when he went to the Hanoi Hilton. You know, for seven years, they tortured that man. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm impressed, but I did it for my entire childhood. And it was, hey, today's the day that you're going to go in and play Russian roulette. And if I had an injury, it was twice a day. Mm-hmm. So twice a day, we're loading a gun. Twice a day, I'm spilling, spinning the cylinder, and I'm getting it put to my head, and I have to pull the trigger. Mm-hmm. At a certain point, this will fuck you up. Oh, yeah. Like, it will. And if you don't have... If I had had a ritual setting, if I had a group of elders that were like, we are with you, we are together with you, I think I would have done fine. Right. Like, it would have been tough, but I would have been fine. Then, if you don't have a group, and I can relate to the younger generation right now because a lot of them don't have a group. Yeah. Well, as someone with this disease, as I got older, we lost all the members of the group. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm fond of, not fond of telling people, but it's good to point out, I was in a group of people that, you know, my support group alone had over 20 members. And now there's only two. Mm-hmm. And it's myself and one of my siblings. Like, that's survivor guilt. That's like... Honestly, I mean, it's not the same as the Holocaust, but it might as well be. You know, I watched people fucking die, and yet there was no structure in order to understand what was happening. Right, well, and that's and that's the big thing, right. is because you had a group that you bonded with. Right. And, and that helped you to manage some of what you were experiencing when you had to do infusions, um... And there were other hemophiliacs around. Right. You were going through the same thing, and you were probably closer to those people, which made it much more traumatic. It's much more traumatic. Them. Well, that and when but, you're when you're eight years old, if you're witnessing your friends through the same age dying, and your parents are telling you what's in that needle is directly responsible, right? And unfortunately, you have to make a choice. Yeah, that's that's the same as I, mean, I don't care what comparison we're going to give it to Stockholm syndrome. It's the same fucking thing. Yeah. You're going through a traumatic experience. But we didn't understand how to process it right, as you've pointed out. Right. What if we had processed it differently? Right. Well, and that's and that's the whole the whole thing, um, because we can control how we manage pain with our brains mm-hmm. and through the experience and the wisdom of people who have gone through it before us, who can share that by the, having support of the people around you, and one of the the biggest issues that we have right now is that uh, like we aren't bonding in groups right. like there there's no we're fragmenting gr- yeah like and and more and more and more because the internet there's i mean yes there's support but they're not really support no. because even people who have found solace in finding groups on the internet that have the same beliefs as them that have the same experiences as them whether you know it's uh some rare disease or, um, you know, trauma and abuse, sexual assault, all of these kinds of things, people find solace in 
finding online groups of people who have gone through the same thing, which because we have a greater community in the mm. world. But at the same time, we are not bonding in real life with other humans, which makes it easier, <coughs> excuse me, for us to discount their experience and discount their um, their life. Mm. Um, one of the things that uh, some of these experience, uh, the experiments with pain <coughs> discovered, and this is one of the things that I see a ton of, is that people use pain for uh, to achieve personal and social things. Mm-hmm. Um, so in pre-industrial communities, or you know, even up to the last probably hundred years, um, you go through something with a group together, you bond, and that is the reason why you endured that pain. Um, we don't have that now. There's no parameters for understanding pain experience. And you see children, you know, when we worked in the psychiatric facility, you see children as young as four and five causing self-harm. Oh, God, yeah. It's horrifying. Because they're, and and this is where I think, you know, DNA comes in, like, because the answer to internal pain is external pain sometimes. Right. Um, Like, growing up in any situation is a painful experience. It's confusing, and things are going on with your brain and your body, and they're not comfortable, and when you ritualize the process, you know that when you get to this, then then you can move on to the next phase of your life. Right. We don't have anything like that now. <clears throat> so people internalize, and you see people cutting themselves. Oh, God, You yeah. see people um, causing severe scarring on their bodies because they don't have any other way to express their internal pain. Right. And we don't teach them how to handle pain. We don't teach them how to manage pain. We don't teach them that like you can, there are ways to express internal pain externally without physical harm to yourself. Or when you put that in a like ritual setting, you only have to go through the process once. Mm-hmm. Um, in a, an experiment that was done in 2011, um, people that were asked to recall a moral transgression and then they could choose a painful experience or a non-painful experience, they generally chose the painful experience. Mm. People who are not asked to to in the same experiment to recall a moral transgression they just were told put your hand in cold water or warm water would always choose the warm water and one of the ways that we use pain as human beings is to get rid of or purify ourselves get rid of all the bad that we are feeling internally um so that we can be like clean and pure for our communities, so that we can be physically present, mentally present, emotionally present for our communities. You want to be strong. You want to be... I think this goes back to, I mean, you know, what is it? Uh, you know, 
Homer or the Iliad. Or, yeah. You know, where the, the hero has to go out and endure terrible things. Right, absolutely. And then comes back with sacred knowledge and accepted as a leader in the community. Right. Like, as, I don't know many people who didn't, like, the best movies... The best movies are you have to overcome gigantic odds. Absolutely. And then you always are changed and come back with something mm-hmm. that, like, I am now this. Like, you know, I am no longer Gandalf the Grey. I am Gandalf the White. Like, right. you know, wow. Like, boom. Like, right, I, have, right. I have gone to hell and back and I've brought this. And almost always the best tales are that person brings that back and shares that with mm-hmm. his community or her community, their community. Whatever. Like, that's what that's there for. Right. So you didn't not want to have an experience. We Everybody I knew as a kid, like, the, the, best, the best soldiers have the most medals and the best fucking stories. Like, yeah. you know, they might be a little fucked up, but they're the most interesting people. And they're like, dude, your dad is the craziest person I've ever met. But if shit hit the fan, I want him on my team. Right, right. Like, that's how it works. Like, you find people who you go... And it, it, it's all aspects of life. It could be a, a skill artistically or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Wow, you make really cool bind runes. I want to be able to do that, and I can't, so I really value you. But we don't have a uniform thing, mm-hmm. you know, which is really what we need is to have people go through an experience and go, you're part of our tribe now. Right. 9-11 <clears throat> was kind of a weird unifying thing because we are all Americans. And then it didn't take long afterwards to, like, the further away you were from right. the it. Fewer, or The fewer, uh, like, people in between you and someone who was lost in right. 9-11. But we've heard, this, we've heard this from people, like, during the, you know, during the whole Watertown bombing when we were working up there. You know, we had heard of other tattoo artists who weren't even, they're 80 miles away, and they're like, yeah, I mean, we were nervous, but I'm like, dude, you weren't in harm's way. Right. We weren't in Watertown when this happened. Well, at least not the second part. <laughs> but, you know... We need this unifying thing, and we can never seem to figure out how to do right. that and, right now. And I think one of the one of the reasons that we're so fractured as a society is that we are not taught how to manage pain. We're not taught how to deal with it. There's no prescribed process. We all see therapists, mm-hmm. psychotherapists, and which is fine. Yes, but yeah, the reason that we need to. Is because we have no understanding of how to manage ourselves. Mm-hmm. And for all of those children and adults, because we know adults that do this too, that cause self-harm. And that self-harm could be things like cutting. It could be things like overeating. It could be, I mean, there's, it could be driving fast. It could be, um, you know, extreme sports. Yeah. you know, swimming in dangerous waters. There's a million kind of things that you can kind of associate with self-harm behavior. Um, it could be doing drugs, um, drinking heavily. Like, there's a million kind of ways that you can see it. And it's all because they don't understand. Right. They don't understand themselves. They don't understand their their history. Right. We have in our brains... The experiences of our ancestors. They're still working on actually proving that it can be seen in our DNA, other than the obvious kind of we get our we, DNA from our parents. Right. They've done experiments with mice that um, they put the mothers in traumatic experience, you know, experiences, and then you can see in the second generation that there's markers on the DNA that are directly related to those traumatic experiences. Yep. Um, we I, know 
you, I was going to say, I've, I've seen it in my family where, like, you know, so there's, there's, there's all, almost every family, especially if you're in the Northeast and you're Irish, mm-hmm. uh, you don't talk about shit as far as your family history. Mm-hmm. But my grandfather lost his younger brother uh, in a horrible accident when his younger brother was about eight. Mm-hmm. And so that was traumatic and awful for him. He was blamed for it, even though it was not his fault. Now, he had children, and his male sons, whether or not they're seeing this, are responding to it. They're depressed. They're overwhelmed. Oh, yeah. Now, you could see that, but most of the grandchildren were not told about this. So we wouldn't have preconceived notions about it. Yeah. But almost all of my male cousins go through a real weird traumatic time around the ages of like 12 to 14, mm-hmm. which would be around the age my grandfather was when he lost his brother. Yeah. And depression reigns to the point where I've had a cousin who's tried to commit suicide. Uh, I've had a lot of them have been, de- myself, also been depressed, uh, serious emotional issues. But... You know, for some of us, you can look at it and go, well, you have had negative experiences. But then for other members, you're like... There, it's not there. It's not there to the same extent, right. you know? And it's and, like, and what is that? And I also think, too, although in, in your case, it's not the same, but sometimes people put themselves in situations where they would have traumatic experiences subconsciously. Right, absolutely. Um, but, I mean, there are studies that, like, the children... Oof, of people who have endured trauma um, during, like, the the Khmer Rouge, yeah. Vietnam, the Holocaust, all say, of yeah, these, really, the Native American Holocaust, which no one talks about, right. um, the genocides that any, any countries, you know, in Europe who have experienced, which there are many, um, right. the children and the grandchildren, especially, have increased... Um, instances of depression, anxiety, PTSD, drug addiction, all of these things, even if they led, you know, normal, quote unquote, um, non-traumatic lives, they're more likely to have these issues if their grandparents and parents had these issues. Now, there's an argument that it would be environmental and subconsciously they would pass on this kind of energy, you know, they would potentially treat their children or grandchildren differently. But that's not always the case. And and there's no... It is more likely that they're going to have the anxiety no matter what their life experiences. Um, Or PTSD or, you know... Uh, more fear, like a heavier right. fear response. And that sounds more like something that is in your brain related to your DNA. And they're still working on actually proving well, that. But we're certainly not blank slates. No, we're definitely not. I, You know what I often think, and we've talked about this before, is that my biological father, who I didn't even meet until uh, the end of high school, and I never really got to form a relationship with, unfortunately, he's passed on, passed on not long after that. Um, It's one of those situations where that man was a brilliant carpenter, like brilliant, brilliant at what he did. And no one in my mother's family does that shit. I had an uncle who was friends with him who did some carpentry, but not like my dad. And from... Like, age three, age four. I was obsessed. I wanted to be outside building shit. Mm -hmm. You couldn't keep me in the house. Yeah. And yet that was not a behavior anybody else did. I built shit obsessively. And I was building tree houses 
very early on. <laughs> I built my first one at age seven. Yeah. Like, and no joke, fearless. We're just going to build yeah. one. And I understood almost instinctually how things needed to be done in order for them to be stable. And I'm critical about how I look at the world when it comes to that. But yet, there's no formal nature for that, and yet right. there it is. You're, like, yeah, you, you had that in your brain right. already. I, you know, we can make the, the reason I point that one out, not the farming one, <laughs> is because that one's the one weird one I can't account for. Like, I did grow up across the street from a farm, and I'm, a fi- and I'm familiar with farms, and I'm obsessed with farming. My grandfather was a pig farmer. Mm-hmm. You know, the one that I never really met. And so who knows? Yeah. And that whole side of the family, farming, construction, building things, that's yeah. where my brain goes. Yeah, absolutely. And so when someone doesn't have that, I often think it's weird. But it may very well be something you are born with. And I've been wrong all these years saying, no, anyone can do this. Anyone can. Well, I'm, but anyone you might is have capable a, of doing anything right. in, in the grand scheme of the universe if you set your mind to a thing. No yep. matter your uh, base skill level or I believe interest, that. you should, you know, with some some rare. I mean, not all of us can be neurosurgeons because our hands aren't all that steady. Right. Um, I never could do that because I shake because of my asthma medication. You know, like that's. But you can understand the science of the brain if you put your mind to it. Right. That's um, it. <clears throat> and that's the thing. It's like you may uh, people say I can't draw. Why? I've seen plenty that's of people mechanical. draw. That's mechanical. Like, you mean you can't see how to draw something. Right. That's right. an education. For sure. The, these things are not inherently gifted. I might lean more towards them because I'm prone to seeing the world in spatial differences. Yeah. But that's where it ends. Right, like, That's right. it, you know. But I think, so, like, taking all these factors, and this is why I wanted to talk about all this stuff today. Um, taking all these ideas that this... The, the modification of the body, the enduring pain experiences in um, the group settings or not necessarily even in group settings because a lot of ascetic kind of practices where you're um, like flagellating yourself, flagell- flagellating, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, or you're in, you know, Aboriginal traditions going on your walkabout, you're in the wilderness by yourself enduring by yourself but it's a it's a community activity in that everyone else has gone through this mm-hmm. like so you know that it's possible to come out at the other side um we see a lot more people getting pierced and tattooed and even scarification to a certain degree although that's not quite as popular because it's not it's a little bit more extreme um we see people getting plastic surgery oh my we see God, people yeah. having you know extreme uh bodybuilding um or extreme fitness in any way whether it's i'm going to lose all of my body fat kind of extreme fitness um these are these are pain-based experiences um and part of the reason i think people are drawn to them is because it, it makes them part of a group right and part of the reason i think they're drawn to them is because we are drawn to them because right. it is in our very nature. It is literally embedded in our DNA, in our ancestral memories, however that transmits from generation to generation, because I think there is quite a bit about the universe that we don't understand, but I definitely think that I have a deep connection to my many ancestral lines. Right. Um, and, and the knowledge of my forebears influences me on a daily basis. Um, 
And sometimes I understand it and sometimes I don't understand it. Um, But most of us are very disconnected from that. And I think that we put ourselves through these situations without understanding the ramifications and the benefit when you do it right. And that kind of right is, is kind of an amorphous idea, but when you do it in a way that it, you're conscientious about the process, when you are intentional about the process, when you are thinking about why you're doing it, Mm -hmm. then it benefits you to a much greater degree. Absolutely. Um, And we're going to talk a lot more about that in future episodes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because that is our main uh, focus with modification our own personal modification practices and especially but also what we want our our practice with others to be right and this is how it's through observing this and observing the usefulness of it the application of it and the absence of it that all inspired us to take these steps you know when i started modifying myself just yeah, like you like- when we were children. Right. It's like, we're going to have these pain experiences. This is ownership of my body. Yeah. And then you realized very quickly, I realized very quickly that there were other people of similar minds who mm-hmm. were also doing this practice. Right. And immediately there was a connection. Yeah. It didn't matter how, like, obviously it was more impressive. It was more ridiculous. It was yeah. more painful. Oh, yeah. But absolutely. you'd look at someone else and go, we're on the same page. You get it. Yeah. Like, you get it. And... As always, you'd still fragment into, like, how many modifications do you right, have like, and what are they? And, and that you see that a lot today. And I think with our group, with our age group, and I'm going to generalize with Gen X, but we saw this. We were already rebelling against, you know, society and the government. We were already talking about the environment and all sorts of other things. One of the other things we had noticed was, and we still notice, is that we wanted everyone to go through these experiences. Yeah. Because the old guard, depending on where you're from, and it doesn't matter which which little avenue you come from, always has the, this is our group, and that only applies to us. It does not apply to anyone else. So, like, we don't want anybody else to be in this ritual if they are not of our exact cut, mm-hmm. which goes beyond just you can master the experience. It falls into maybe skin color or sexuality or religious belief or political leaning or whatever shit people are up to this week. Whatever categories. It's like, I'm going to further, you may have that and I may have it, but I'm in this group. Right. And it's like, this is what our sports are. This is, it's, it's us versus them. If you want to fix it, you have to have some sort of prescribed unifying ritual. And that means people have to come to it on their own somehow. We're, Mm -hmm. we're, one of the problems with any society is that certain things end up getting demonized yeah. because they don't fit into that culture. Mm-hmm. And more and more, I think people are comfortable with like, this is what I grew up with. This is my culture. Why doesn't everybody else do this? It's like, yeah, but we can't do that that right. way. But I do understand your need to have some unifying thing. I mean, again, you know, I, I talk to people about this and we've talked about this is that like you evolved to be in a group of maybe 150, no more. Right. We haven't changed. So we look around and we think it's a group of 150 or more because we can't remember that many more names, even yeah. though we know cognitively, like, oh no, it's 7 billion plus people on earth. Right, right. Yeah, no, no, there's one tribe of 150 and they all need to fit into my group. 
I don't know how you work out the social lubricant to make other groups understand other groups. That's beyond my skill. Mm -hmm. But I feel, and I think a lot of people feel, as you've said, it's normal to feel that we need these rituals, we need these modifications, right. and we need to be able to recognize them in others, and it's a great unifier. Yeah, and I, and I think you see it a lot more now. I mean, I, I've been studying body modification since the late 90s, and in the late 90s, there were not a whole heck of a lot of indigenous people who were talking about and participating in their, their own body modification practices from their history because when they were colonized and the missionaries came in they were told nope this is bad this is the devil you cannot change your body there's no tattoos no scars no more body paint no more piercing things that's the end of it and and they built this into their culture going forward and right. you have indigenous people who became ministers and share with the rest of their group as they, you know as it goes further out like no this is bad what we used to do is evil we cannot do that anymore right. and and in many places that knowledge was still saved it may have been saved by european people who came through but some of that information was saved um I have a very small amount of Mi'kmaq ancestry and I'm really interested in, in figuring that out. And there are two images that exist in the world of Mi'kmaq men with tattoos. There are mm. no descriptions at all anywhere. And I, so we know that there was tattooing in that community, but we have no context or information. The same with a lot of other Native American groups. There's not a lot of context or because there was no written history of it. Um, the Inuit had more passed down. They were doing it until more recently. Right. So you still have like great grandmas who have, have a, like original w with the ceremonies that, you know, occurred around, you know, the, the procedure um, in Polynesian communities you know you lost a lot of that information but it in the context of, of tattooing but it was saved in the context of carving and other art forms right and you have a lot more records of designs and meanings of designs and the oral tradition is strong in, in many Aboriginal communities so that information was passed down from generation to generation, even if it was not used. Um, so right. you now have a lot more people who are really interested in reviving their ancient practices that relate to body modification because they understand that, and I hear this in interview after interview mm -hmm. after interview of uh, practitioners, like tattoo artists or uh, skin markers, as many of them would prefer to be called, um, and the people getting the markings, is that... By participating in this ritual, it is medicine. Right. It connects me to my community and my ancestors. It m gives me um, a, an experience that I know my ancestors went through that I can endure if they endured. Because um, we're much better off now than they were then. You get an right. infection, then you go to the doctor. Not a big deal. You get an infection, you know, two, three, four hundred years ago, uh, you might not make it. Right. Uh, <laughs> and it's fascinating to see them recover these things. I mean, in our lifetime, in the 90s, you know, the Maori were not, there were some subgroups doing this work. Right. 
but, there but a was lot not, of it, it was not socially acceptable. Right. And now you can see businessmen with full Tomoko who it's totally not weird. I remember going to the Marshfield Fairgrounds and talking to Native American people who were there to do these ritual dances, and one of them was Lakota. And I immediately got excited because I was like, oh, my God, I want to ask this guy about the sun dance. And I brought it up, and he looked at me like I had two heads, didn't understand what I was talking about. When I explained it, he looked at me in the most matter-of-fact way. And for those of you who weren't there, <laughs> this guy wouldn't look native to you at all. I mean, none of his attributes are native. Uh, because back then, you really you were only native at your dances. You really kind of... There was not the same reaction, at least out in the Northeast, that there is now. It wasn't the same acceptance. You know, in the 70s, they were, you know, still killing Native Americans here, and they're still doing it in Canada. Like, this shit was, it's hardcore, right at the edge of it right now. But now people see them and like, oh, they have their traditional garb and whatnot, and they're researching this, and you see people into this, and it's like, that's recent. Like, yeah. it's very recent. Uh, you know, the famous one when I was a kid was the, the ad for not littering, where the guy throws the trash out the window and the they have a guy who looked, who's supposed to look like your traditional Indian, whatever that is, crying. It isn't until years later I found out that guy's Sicilian. He's not even Native American. Like, mm -hmm. this is, we have this cultural narrative as to what it is. <coughs> sorry. No, but, you, yeah. you, you didn't finish what the oh, guy no. said. Oh, yeah, no, he, yeah, sorry. I, <laughs> she's married to me, and so this is her experience 24-7 is that I go off on a thought... And then yeah. I forget what the hell I was talking about. This guy, when I explained to him I was interested in the Sundance, told me that that was horrific, primitive, barbaric behavior, and they don't engage in that shit anymore. And it's like, whoa, like, you got homogenized culture. Like, you think it's just the grass dance is your people and your tradition. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you're an outsider and you look at indigenous communities in North America, reservations, and you see all the flaws, keep in the back of your mind that that is a microcosm of what we are doing as a society in, in cities and everywhere is the same shit, where it's like, okay, to survive, we must now drop this tradition and adopt whatever the mainstream right. is doing, and the mainstream has no idea what it's oh, doing. Oh, yeah, no, the mainstream definitely does not. Right. Um, but yeah, just to see that change in our lifetime. Right. So it's, it's very heartening to see so many indigenous groups reclaiming their modification and other ritual practices. And unfortunately, because Indo-European folk were colonized probably before anyone else by the silly Roman Christian folk. Um, and, I'm, you know, again, it's like... <laughs> Then the Christians were conquered we're by the all, Romans. Yeah, I mean, we're all, the, we're all conquerors yeah. and we're all conquered people. Right. Like, there's not a, a group on the face of the planet that has not conquered someone or been conquered at some point in time. Um, so we've all been through the experience and some more recently than others. Absolutely. But we've lost our connection to that because we've been Christianized for so long. Mm -hmm. um, and now and I think... I, and I think that is one of the things that makes it really difficult for Euro European-descended people to understand how important ritual is. Right. Like, there are people that go to church every week, and that's nice. But there is nothing that is painful about that except that it's really freaking boring. Right. Um, 
And that's all we have to associate ritual. Well, you with. know what? I feel like it's gone, and I know Christianization is a thing, but atheanization, oh, well, where now the, the new trend is nothing has any meaning. These are all just stupid practices. And as soon as we give up superstition, then we can move forward. You know, superstition is being bothered by the word cunt, uh, which we recently looked up and can't fucking find out where the origin of this silliness comes from. And everybody's convinced it's a bad word, because they were told it's a bad word. Just like all the other swear words, I didn't know what half of them actually meant until I was an adult and could look it up on the good right. old internet. Like, nobody knew growing up, like, fuck's just a bad word. Well, cunt is the worst word. Like, okay. based on what? Right. Like, and again, this is, we, we fall into this idea about, you know, what is and what isn't, and we fracture further right. and well, further. You were actually going in a good direction with that, that superstition is only, like, superstition is there for a reason. Absolutely. And, and sometimes those reasons don't have any basis in anything, and it's just because old wives' tales have been... Mm -hmm. But there was some original truth in that. Right. And a lot of times superstition and, and ritual that we don't really understand or practices that we don't really understand why you would do such a thing, um, there is a reason, and they... The, the people that started doing it may have understood the reason, but may not have communicated that reason to their the next generation. And then, you know, a thousand years later, it's just something somebody heard sometime. Right. You know, and it's just a, a thing. But, like, for example, um, the ayahuasca ceremony, mm -hmm. you can take ayahuasca, break it down into its components, have a psychedelic experience with it, and have none of the telltale experiences if you go do an ayahuasca ceremony in south america that's prepared properly by someone that that is you know their skill, skill. i don't, I don't want to call them shamans that's because that's something else but a medicine person or a spiritual leader or a guide or whatever you want to call it um there are other plants that have to be mixed it has to be mixed and processed in a very particular way when you know, science takes a hold of it and separates it and breaks it down. And this is the psychedelic component. You're going to take that instead. You have no connection to Mother Ayahuasca. You have no, none of the visions that uh, communicate information to you mm -hmm. the way that a properly prepared Ayahuasca experience is. And, I, and there's something to that. There's a mm -hmm. reason that people in the Amazon know literally thousands and perhaps tens of thousands of remedies for any possible ill that you could possibly encounter in your life. Right. And that information is often transmitted from the environment. Right. Well, we also have this, we're, we're, I know we're keep going on a different, that we're so much more advanced. Right. Well, the people in the jungle probably die at age 40 and they just get sick. I'm like, no, they live to be close to 100. They don't have the same medical ills. But we always do this, like, we're smart now. Right, like science and they're is better than, stupid. than folklore. Right. Like, and, and, there's, and there's a benefit to both and you have to be open right. to both. Well, we were talking about, and I am going to tie this into it, uh, that, you know, in the 1800s, if you look up Christmas ornaments, mm -hmm. you're seeing dried mushrooms hanging out on pine trees. Right, right. And no one ever asked questions about it. They were just like, yeah, that's a Christmas ornament. Now, if you were to bring home someone a sparkly mushroom to hang on their Christmas tree, they're like, I don't know, it's a place that's where Mario weird. Brothers, dude. What is this? Yeah. But, like, 
when we go into mushroom-taking traditions amongst the reindeer herdsmen of Siberia, that's where this tradition comes from. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, so they like to get fucked up in the winter. No, stupid. Uh, around the winter solstice, these shaman would drop these dehydrated mushrooms down the chimney of anyone who wanted to have the experience, and they would signal this by putting out their fire. I wonder what tradition that sounds like. Yeah. Now, we know from scientifically studying this right now, the breakthroughs they're making, is that the use of psilocybin mushrooms alleviates depression. Mm -hmm. Uh, It helps with your brain function. Uh, People don't get this. Like, if you were to take psilocybin mushrooms and give them to a person with depression, it takes, and you told me this one, it takes one year to get back to your same plateau. That means your affect is always higher, even if it's creeping steadily lower over a year. Right. We also know that Psilocybin mushrooms alleviate the fear of death for people who have a illness that is going to kill them. Mm-hmm. And if you give them to them regularly, aside from the fact they smile and laugh and feel connected with the earth, they also have, you know, a decrease in depression and fear. Mm-hmm. You know, if we look at the world through this modern, hipper than thou, you know, science, let's try science, like, Yeah, but science will tell you that you can only measure what you're measuring, and science also tells you that we're terrible at recreating any system Mm -hmm. and understanding it. We fracture systems. Science knows this. Because, I mean, that's you break it down to understand it, but sometimes breaking it down doesn't help you understand it And if you can't readily see why, then you go, oh, it's nonsense, and therefore get rid of it. It's like, no, no, no. If we had followed this, how many people get into a depressive state in February... They haven't had enough vitamin D. Their brain's devoid of niacin oh, yeah. and B12. Maybe the answer is you need fats and mushrooms. That's what people did in traditional societies yeah. near the Arctic regions of the world. Yeah. Oh, are you eating fat? Like, oh, like seed fat? No, fat from animals. Yeah, animal Are you fat. taking mushrooms? These are the two things you need to do. Mm-hmm. And then what else do they do? Scandinavian societies as cultural... You know, yeah, they have their pain thing, but they also have what's called higgy, where they get together and cuddle regularly throughout the winter because you have this ritual of cozy cozy, oxytocin sharing. You're like, hey, we're going to help inoculate against disease by being together and sharing bacteria. You know, as opposed to now where we share superbugs, we used to just share mild levels of bacteria. But you also had community support. Mm -hmm. Now we don't have it. And it's like, geez, why am I miserable? Uh, There's a bunch of reasons why you're miserable. Yeah. Totally. Shit. So, so next time, yep. we are going to talk about you, this information and how that translates into modern practice and how we think, how in our own personal practices, we think that if we focus more on making the most of these experiences. Intention. That it makes the experience better. It's a more useful experience from a spiritual, psychological, emotional, physical perspective. And, um, and why it's important that as many people as possible kind of understand the importance of this. Right. I mean, you, you look, if you're lost at this point, I think one of the only comforting things I could say is that you're not alone. A lot of people are, and it seems from what we've seen, from what we've experienced, that a lot of people are searching. Mm-hmm. And if we can understand at least the nature as to why we do the practice, yeah. since we're already doing it, then all that's left is to start making it intentional. It's much more useful to us. 
Um, and we'll we'll talk a lot more about that Absolutely. next time, and hopefully it will not uh, take us a month. To no, put it, it won't take us. One. It won't take us a month. There, there will be no. It won't take us a month. Hopefully, there we go. Yeah. All right. All right. Um. Oh yeah. So I found this great quote. So we'll end with this: Tattoos transform us from raw animals into cooked cultural beings. That was Claude Levi Strauss, um, which was in Inked Tattoos and Body Art Around the World. Love it. Good stuff.